The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. This week, Patria is traveling, and so we've got a special episode of The Pace Line tandem for you. For those who haven't worked in the bike industry, Michael Gamstetter's name may well be unknown. He is, however, one of the more endlessly fascinating people the bike industry has sucked into its orbit and refused to relinquish. I came to know Gamstetter when he was a staffer and then editor at the trade magazine of record for the bicycle industry, bicycle retailer, and industry news. But to call Michael a journalist would shortchange him the way handing your barista a $50 bill for a coffee and then them asking you if you want any change. There's so much more to this guy. For starters, he's a painter and saxophone player, was a truly badass cyclocross racer and race promoter, and hails from a part of Ohio that seems to produce talented people the way L.A. produces traffic. He spent years in Japan and knows more about Japanese culture than any two other people I know. In a move that is unusual with established professionals, though maybe not to the endlessly curious, following his stint at Brain, he went back to school and earned a degree in industrial design. Since then, He's worked as a product manager and designer for box components, airborne bicycles, and his current gig with a revived BMX brand, Race Inc. However, as he puts it in our interview, everyone needs a side hustle. After some years of producing period-correct BMX number plates under the moniker 44 by 16 he rekindled his love of 1980s-era road bikes not to mention some of the stars of that era. As a kindred spirit, I can say Michael's love is a little obsessive and has resulted in him producing gloves, bib shorts, and now tires meant to evoke the look and feel of the era. It's his gammy sport products that have occasioned this interview. With that, I'd like to introduce Michael Gamstetter. So what is it you're doing with yourself for the most part these days? Uh, well, my fault. I have a day job, and um, I'm the brand manager for Race Inc., which is a BMX brand that dates back to the mid '70s. Mm-hmm. There's a little story in Brain about it last issue and earlier this week. Um, I'm working with a guy named Mark Cote. He is in the film industry, more specifically in uh, special effects. Um, I just found out that he he's won a couple Emmys for that, and he was just nominated for a new one, and I believe for the morning show. Anyway, he's also doing some co-producing, and he's a producer in the morning show, and he was a producer on um, Big Little Lies, mm. and uh, <clears throat> his Hollywood business is going really well. 
Um, it's sort of on uh, autopilot, he said. And so he was kind of bored with his life and wanted to do something fun. And um, his kids were racing BMX. And um, he decided he wanted to ride a bike again. So he pulled out his old bike from his mom's basement and realized it was super out of date. And um, instead of buying a new bike, he, he decided to just upgrade the bike. And as chance would have it, the bike is a race ink, something he raced back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, he searched the, the Google for components and found box components. Um, which is where I used to be. Right. And um, I designed most of those. Um, and uh, he bought a bunch of that stuff and retrofit it to his bike. It, none of it was designed for a bike like that, but he made it work. <laughs> um, he's also an engineer. Uh, oh, so anything that. Yeah. So he uh, had some friends and acquaintances, whatever making some shims and adapters and whatnot. So he was out in California and, um, you know, for, for other business and decided to visit Toby at box. And he just, he'd been buying stuff from Toby and he just knocked on the door and was like, Hey, you know, as happens when you're in the bike industry and you're mm-hmm. a company and you usually tell these people to get lost. Um, but Toby invited him in and they, they talked and, um, Cause he'd spent a bunch of money on parts for his kids and like the neighbor kids and the kids at the track. And so he sort of had a legit account and had been spending money. So Toby wanted to see who this guy was. And, uh, he had found out that race Inc was for sale. Um, a guy in Indiana had it, um, and had been running it for a few years and it was, wasn't doing too bad, but it wasn't really going gangbusters. Um, and, um, since that's the bike he had, he was kind of excited about that fact. And he talked to Toby and, um, they sort of banged a bunch of ideas around and he asked if there was anybody that could help him get this thing off the ground. And Toby recommended me and they made an introduction. And so Mark and I met and, uh, and, um, he hired me in January. And since then we've been trying to do bikes. Um, COVID has really screwed things up for us. I can only imagine. Um, yeah. So we were planning to go, you know, to Taiwan and China and we we're planning in, in February to go sometime in March. And, um, you, you can imagine where that went. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You so have credits with uh, an airline company. Yeah. We're, we didn't buy anything. <laughs> thankfully I was ready. I was ready to go to Taiwan. Um, I'm like, I'm going to go. I trust Taiwan. It's healthy over there. It's all good. And, um, everybody talked me out of it. And, um, it was right before we shut down. So Mm. anyway, we've redesigned the bikes and, uh, we've done a ton of design work and the bikes look, the new bikes, the race stuff looks really cool. We're working on a retro line. Um, and that stuff's looking pretty good. And, um, we've got factories and, you know, assemblers and stuff all lined up. And when, once we get them what they need, we're going to go. So we're pretty close to, um, starting production. So if you're that far down the road, how necessary is a trip to Taiwan at this point? Um, I just think it's so much easier when you're face to face. If you're in that factory and you're there for a week, you've got their attention. Um, and you can walk into somebody's office and go, Hey, this needs to be fixed. Let's figure this out. 
mm-hmm. and um, you know, you're on Zoom, and you know, you got a guy who's sitting forty feet at the end of a table, and he's holding up a tube, and you're like, I what? I can't, you know, I can't <laughs> see that. Mm-hmm. And when you're there, you know, you're in a tubing room, and he's like, oh, I like this tube, this tube, this tube. Um, and just just stuff that you can throw out there in a meeting and the guy can go oh wait a minute he can get up and run down the hall and find something that you know and when you're going i want a tube that looks like the one in the drawing that i just sent you last week and they don't really know they're interpreting it looks like what does that mean Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um gotcha so yeah you, you can just catch things before fast i just think communication's easier better well i mean i've always heard that but i mean you know forgive me it sounded like you were closer to an actual pre-production product uh but yeah i get if you're still in the point of tubing choices and other things you know well i mean we're 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 actually going to tool up for all of our own almost all of our own tooling but there are a few tools but which is really expensive and we were hoping that you know some of the tubing that we're doing is fairly simple and we're hoping that we're like, this is what it is. Can you just find something in your catalog that's really close and show those to us? And they, they, they'd send us one thing or there'd be no response. And they'd say, the tooling cost is going to be $8,000. Like, we, it's just a square tube. We know it's really simple. Why, you know, why? Mm-hmm. You, there must be something somewhere in your, and, um, you know, they don't have good catalogs online. They don't have good PDF catalogs to send you. And you know that they've got tooling that dates back years, but what they're showing you is what's new. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, but for us, it's been a learning process on Mark's side. You know, he was doing everything in 3d, but he's doing it in 3d that what you would use to, to make an animated film. It's, you know, it's mind-boggling, complex, massive, beautiful. You can't tell the difference from a photo- photograph. Mm-hmm. But the factory can't use that. Right, right. They need, they need something in, in SolidWorks. And so um, it, it's taken a while for him to... I, I told him this at the beginning, we need SolidWorks. He's like, oh, no, this will work. I'm like, no. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, now we've hired a SolidWorks guy and he's taking all that and he's building SolidWorks models and we've got the good drawings and, um, you know, we're still working on dimensioning and stuff. Um, so we're at that point. And once we get all that to the factories, it's kind of a go I've spec'd out the bikes. Um, you know, our Mark keeps changing his mind on direction and whatnot, but we're like, we're close. <laughs> so, um, wow cool it's a complicated process that i don't think most people um understand or or realize how how complicated it is um you know you can't just walk into a factory and go i'll take that right paint it blue right um yeah i mean in some instances there's that opportunity but you're not going to get what you really need yeah yeah yeah, i mean yes and no i mean uh, my last boss, I think that's, he never specked out a bike. And I think that's what he thinks it is mm-hmm. that I could walk into the factory and, and, and there's a showroom and they've got bikes. And I'm like, I like that. Just paint it blue, put our logo on it. And, um, Oh, I don't know. Change the handlebar 
bend a little bit. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You've got to spec every single part, even if it's out of the catalog. You know, there there are things that have to be done in a certain way, and and then even once you have <clears throat> the factory, doesn't just go okay, flip a switch, we're making it because. You know, they have to order the handlebar from the company, and the handlebar company has to order the tubing from the tubing maker, and the tubing maker has to order it from the factory where they get their raw materials from because nobody has anything in stock. Right. So it takes this, it takes a long time just to get the handlebar made, and every single component on the bike is like that. And then they have to be consolidated at the factory. The factory has to assemble it. They assemble that first sample, and they like, whoa, what were you thinking? You know? This is way off. This doesn't fit. You know, you spec the wrong inner tubes. These are whatever. Um, mm -hmm. The brake cable. How long do you want the brake cable to be? Because it's this long. And that's called your golden sample. Right. Uh, you, you get that thing nailed down, and then they take that, and then they place their orders. And that that right there, even if you walked in with everything you need, and here's the list go, is probably three to four months to get made. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, when I was at felt super Dave had to do a trip back to Taiwan because they'd fucked up all the cable housing lengths. Yeah. He did a whole trip just for cable housing lengths on all the road bikes. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it uh, with cables, it's less of a big deal, but if you're using hydraulics, you want those things right. And, um, and you, it's, it's not really something you can, I suppose you can get close with a 3D model and dimensions and stuff, but really you got to kind of do it once and go, okay, pull it off. How long is this? You know? Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of stuff like that when they build the bikes, you know, is the syrup too, too long? Did you want, you spec whatever, you know, two mil, two centimeters of five millimeter spacers, you got three centimeters sticking above above it, and you don't want them to have to cut every single one of those forks. So you need to spec that mm -hmm. in advance, and it, it's just all these little details for the manufacturer to make it easier for them. Right. I mean, they'll cut it. Um, you know, this factory I worked with, I spec a certain wheel, um, sent it to them, and they were building our golden sample. Um, I went over to to watch those get built, and um. You know, I picked up, I was going through the parts bin and I pick up the rim and I'm like, what happened to the valve hole here? Oh, the inner tubes we have didn't fit. So we drilled it out. I'm like, no, I, I spec a Presta valve. It's like, oh, we don't have any Presta valves. All, everything <laughs> is Schrader. So we drilled it out. I'm like, no, you cannot do that. You can't do that. Don't drill anything. <laughs> God. I'm like, I'm like well, let's. You know, we'll fix this, but it's got to be pressed the valves. Get yourself some pressed the valve tubes in here. And, you know, I mean, that's it's silly stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So crazy. Anyway. Wow. Anyway, that's what I'm busy with. And then uh, and then I've got my, uh, you know, Gammy. everybody needs a side hustle uh, <laughs> to survive. <clears throat> so my side hustle is Gami, Gami Sport, um, which is, as a lot of people figured out, it's kind of my name, a la the Italian company naming uh process um it's my name um my name apparently in german it has something to do with mountain goats 
Um, the only word I can find close to it is Gamsa, which is the the mountain goat that lives in the Alps, called the the chamois, the chamois goat uh-huh. goat they use for chamois. There's all these weird, <laughs> I don't know, maybe somewhat tenuous connections to cycling with my last name. Um, so I decided to use that. Um, I started with gloves. Uh, they're basically knockoffs of the gloves that we used in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, white leather palms, barely any padding, sublimated lycra backing, Velcro closures, um, nothing fancy, no extra pads here and there, um, no snot wipes, just simple, classic, basic gloves. Um, I always liked those the best back in the day. I've lamented the fact that you can't find them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, I wanted a pair of gloves that matched the certain kit that I had. So I started a whole freaking company just to make my own gloves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, um, uh, when I saw you doing that, I was like, wow, that's going to an awful lot of trouble. Um, and then when you started selling them, it's like, oh, this could work out awfully well. Uh, <laughs> it's It's been slow. Uh-huh. Um, I, I just just past a year since um since i started selling um i've run out of a few i fortunately the factory i work with allows me to um do really small quant- the the minimum order quantity is is larger but i can order onesie twosies from time to time and i don't have to order a hundred of each design so okay. i can i can order 500 gloves but they could be Split you between know, various designs. 30, 40 different designs, yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I, I was kind of going, I don't know what people want. I'm going to do a whole range of stuff. I'm going to do what I want. And then plus stuff that I think is popular. And um, some of the stuff I thought would, would do well hasn't, to mm. my surprise. Um, other stuff has done better than I thought. I think I would do better in Europe, but I think people are... Um, they don't want to pay $15 shipping mm. for a $35 glove. Um, they could buy six pair and still pay 15 bucks, um, which I encourage people to do, but um, nobody's done it. <laughs> um, but I sold a bunch of look gloves to some Le Mans fans um, in France. Those guys also asked for a couple other designs that I did kind of for them, but have also been somewhat successful with. Um and I was really hoping that Leroyka would help me get out there in front of, you know, 4,000 ish. Yeah. yeah. 4,000 ish American consumers. Um, cause I, I don't think social media is where the people our age who are riding vintage bikes really spend a lot of their time. Um, there's a, there's a group of people who do, mm-hmm. um, but God trying to reach them that way is, is tough. Um, at least it has been for me. I, I bought a few ads, got zero. That was a complete waste of my $25. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I, I, I kind of feel like it takes two years for these things to kind of get going. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping that you know, over the next year, things get going. And then I just added the tires. Well, and, and bibs. I mean, how, how many bibs have you done? Well, the bibs, so I, I wanted to do just classic black bibs. That's what I wanted. I wanted just, cause I was riding mm-hmm. bikes from, I'm riding bikes from the seventies, early eighties. 
and early to mid eighties was a switch to Lycra. And, um, I just wanted a simple black bib. Mm-hmm. They don't exist. They're all 500 panels and, you know, super contoured and compression, this and that. And they're $400 and I don't need that. I just need a pair of black bibs that fit well. And, and I want them to actually be pretty short. Um, and Not I found Sean Kuchark. Yates, sure. I think, I think you actually recommended I look into Kuchark. I think it was you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found Kuchark was still in business. I drove up there, hung out with John, asked him if he could make me shorts that are three quarters of an inch to an inch shorter. Um, he said, sure. <laughs> so, um, and then he gave me a bunch of pricing on custom stuff and it was really expensive. Um, so I did my own research and figured out how to do, uh, heat transfer stuff and, you know, started working with him on that. And all of my heat transfer stuff worked great until I started selling it. And then it started falling off. Oh. Um, so I kind of pulled back on that. Um, I sold a bunch of custom stuff to people in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most of that has survived because they came back for other orders. Um, and I like this heat transfer thing. It looks great, but it's just really inconsistent. Um, I don't, I don't know what the problem is. I mean, that's always kind of been the case. I mean, I remember any number pair of shorts and bibs that I had where like the heat transfer on the left leg would peel off after the third wash and the one on the right leg would last two years. Yeah. Uh, And I remember that too. And I remember it cracking. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, other issues, but I don't think that everybody remembers that or they don't appreciate that. (laughs) So, (laughs) So when they drop, 95 bucks i think i think i've done up to 125 depending on if i have to do the art and all the graphics and the customization and stuff um they pay that much and they pull it on and the letter e falls off they're kind of bummed um well i mean (laughs) i I could forgive someone for thinking that you know uh 20 odd years have gone by maybe 30 odd years have gone by and they've they're bound to have fixed that by now they've bound to figure figured that out you know yeah i i they i should have somebody should have i could have <laughs> someone um, else yeah i yeah <laughs> i mean I, the first ones i did i wanted to use um flocking the fuzzy letters that's mm-hmm. what i really wanted to use and i i put that on and because it doesn't stretch it just exploded and just <laughs> cracked like crazy and and i was like well that's kind of cool it looks like they're 40 years old now um but I, again, I didn't think people would appreciate that. And none of that has peeled off. It cracks, but it doesn't peel off. It's the stuff designed to, to work on Lycra that's supposed to stretch with the Lycra mm-hmm. that you put it on and you pull it and you're like, oh, that's perfect. Then you put it on a pair of shorts and then you put them on and you pull it and three corners pop up. You're like, why? And you wash it and then that one letter falls off a little bit more you iron it again now it's down now another corner pops up <laughs> and it it'll sort of stabilize at some point but you know it's just you know i've got a few that are just little flappy letters that i just deal with it i like my cracked ones i wear those right the it looks legit yeah kind of yeah <laughs> okay well so on- so those weren't doing so well and i just started doing custom sublimated because i started use. I, I realized my glove maker 
his sublimating stuff. I'm like, hey, can you just do some panels? Here's the uh-huh. shape. Here's the graphics. Can you do that? And um, he made a bunch of them. And I went up to Kuchark and he sewed them in. They look fantastic. And when I put them on, I, I don't know if it's back in the day, if that panel was longer before the curve, or if the curve was more gentle. But the Kuchark ones where I put it on, it looks great. And when I put them on my leg, the artwork curves away from mm. the curve. And I don't like that. And until I can figure out what I need to do, um, I don't want to sell them. So I, mm. I, I've made a few samples. Um, I did some buckler ones for me, and I actually curved it with the Kuchark curve. So they look okay. But I made some look ones almost to the original dimensions. And when I put them on that box, instead of curving with my hip, it kind of curves down and I don't, I don't understand. (laughs) So, so bibs are, uh, uh, I want to do them, but I want to get them right first. Sure. Sure. I got to say those aspects of design that people don't appreciate. It's one of the crazier aspects of, you know, making bike stuff like, you know, on helmets, designing in 2d, for something that's going to get molded onto a helmet and becomes a 3d thing. And it's like, mm. you still have to make the the bell or the Giro logo show up correctly. It can't look like it stayed in a hot car all day. Right. Yeah. I, I don't envy anyone <laughs> that job. Um, okay. But we were going to talk about tires. Let's talk tires. Okay. <laughs> I <All> mean, right. <clears throat> I, I sort of get the gloves and I definitely get the bibs, but it, I mean, and this is my naivete about what goes into it. It's like, what does it take to get someone to produce a tubular tire for you? Well, it got easy. Um, Initially, three years ago, when I approached all the tire makers and said, hey, your tires are really ugly on my bikes. Can you guys just make the tires you made back in the ages? Throw an old hot patch on there and do some short valve stems and market them for the whole LaRoyca crowd. And they sort of rolled their eyes and were like, oh, <laughs> we're, we have moved into the future. We've moved beyond that. Our tires are no longer that. That is not who we were. This is who we are now. And why would we do that? And um, I'm like, well, because I think there's a market for it. Because that hot patch that, that goes this far around the tire, it's half inch tall. It's on both sides. Valve stem for 60 millimeter rim. It's hideous. It's hideous on my my 1973 Geos. It's mm-hmm. ugly. Um, so I've been using Challenge because the first ones I bought were older, apparently, and I got them off eBay. And they have a shorter, more traditional logo, and it's dark in color, and it kind of disappeared. Um, the valve stems are, I think theirs are, they call them 40, but apparently they measure 38. Um, 32 is the original size, the old school size. Um, but the challenge tires, they're, they're hot. Their, um, base tape is, is made for wide rims, modern wide rims, not 19 millimeter rims. So that it's really wide and they put a graphic on it and that tape sticks out on both sides and you can see the graphic, another mm-hmm. ugly thing. Um, I tried some Vittorias, which kind of look the hot patches haven't changed too much, but there's still a lot of information on them. Still kind of ugly. Those are okay, but I, I found that my Vittorias 
punctured cut, they just didn't last as well as the the challenges. Um, and the sizing was a little harder for me to deal with. They seemed to be taller, so they hit some rubbed on brakes. Oh. Huh. Um, so anyway, I've never tried Veloflex, which people like. Mm-hmm. More of a European brand, um, but a giant, really a giant logo. So um, I approached Challenge. I approached a few other people. I ran into John Bradley, who used to be at, he was at Schwinn. He was at Trek. God, I don't know where he was way long time ago. Um, I guess Trek is where he was. He's a product manager. Anyway, he was mm-hmm. helping them out. And I ran into him at the hand-built bike show. I think it was the one in Sacramento, Salt Lake City. Was there one in Salt Lake City? Yep. Yeah, yep. that's where it was. Okay. And we had coffee and I told him about this thing. And he's like, I think that's a great idea. Challenge should do that. I'm like, I know. I think they should too. And um, so we followed up. We had a few conversations. Um, I had already done graphics and logos and hot patches and outlined a whole program. Um, and, and my idea was I didn't want to buy the tires. I just wanted them to do it. Just you guys do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I also looked at it like Cross is your big product you got that in the fall and the winter and then in the spring you're not selling a lot of road tires to roadies that's not really your main thing mm-hmm. here's here's your off-season thing do do the vintage nobody's doing it you could own it i don't know how big it is but i think it's probably as big as cyclocross about a year later i followed up and said hey guys i got this idea i want to buy some tires from you can i just rebrand relabel some tire you've already got. All I want to do is change the hot patch. And by the way, I want to change the valve stem and I want to change the base tape. Chris Clinton just started working there. I think he kind of it, but he's, he's challenged North America. And um, he and I have had some conversations because he had been there before. And uh, a couple of years ago at Sea Otter, I was hanging out in the challenge booth. I remember <laughs> seeing you there as a matter yeah. of fact. <laughs> So Chris, Chris was aware of this project. So when he got in there, he wanted to make it happen. And he called me up and said, hey, do you want to do this? We can do it a couple different ways. Um, do you want to do it? You buy the tires, you sell the tires. And um, I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, how much is it going to be? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's about twice what I had hoped it would be. Um, it, it, it costs me, it's, it's costing me a lot of money for very few tires, to be honest. Um, but that's the way it is. Um, COVID's not helping again. Uh, <laughs> Still um, again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Over. Yeah. You, you may have heard that there's a, 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 a real shortage of inner tubes in the world. I have, and I don't understand what that's about. Do you, do you have any insight into that weirdness? Well, the, the the main inner tube that I've heard is shortage of 26 inch. And that's because with COVID and people at home being bored, they all went out to their garages, pulled out that dusty mountain bike, which was a 26 inch, of course, <laughs> took it to the bike shop and said, hey, um, I want to ride my bike with my kids. We got nothing else to do. It's got a couple flats. And everybody ran out of inner tubes. And that's why there's six to nine months wait lists at some bike shops for service, too, because... Wow. There's a bazillion bikes being taken in. Um, so there's that. That's what I understand is the, is the big reason. 
Um, nobody made 26 inch. It's a dead size, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. Um, and then for me, because I want this short valve stem, there aren't any of those out there. And to make them, um, to, for me to get them, they have to be custom made and nobody wants to slot in my tiny number of inner tubes when they've got all these other inner tubes to make first. Mm-hmm. So I've got to wait four months instead of 45 days. And I'm okay with that because there's no Laroica. I don't really have a, a hard launch date at this point. Um, I'd hoped to get them for Laroica and for that I may have compromised, but I'm not compromising my vision at this point. <laughs> okay. Um, what do you think they're going to go for at retail once, once you do have them in hand to sell? I'm hoping $70 a piece. Uh, one, I want to try to do, I want to sell them in pairs. So you have matching little hot patches. I want to encourage that. So, mm-hmm. um, probably 120 for a pair uh, is, is what. That's pretty she, reasonable, really. Yeah, it's, I'm, I, I'm hoping that it's enough to cover enough of my expenses. I mean, it, it, it's enough. I, I've got enough margin in there to cover my costs for sure. And to make a little profit that I can then use to reinvest in more stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not making a bazillion dollars off this stuff. But when I think about, you know, I don't really have eBay fees and PayPal fees and credit card fees and those kinds of things aren't really in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll see. My, my hope is to, to sell, I'm getting 300 of them, three different hot patches. So a hundred of each. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's basically the smallest numbers I could get. Um, I was really, really the hot patch thing. It cost me a lot of money to get three hot patches made. Um, but I didn't want to just pick one and I kind of know how that is. People, you do one and people are like, Hey, can you do this one? It's going to happen anyway. Can you do this one? Can you do this one? Can you do this one? Can you do it in yellow? Can you, can I get this one? Like, Oh my God, no, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and I only, I'm only doing one size. If I mm-hmm. do more sizes, I have to order more tires because it was mm-hmm. 300 was the minimum order quantity for each size. Um, and the tread that I'm using is, is I didn't want to tool up for a tread. So mm-hmm. I'm using an old tread that was available and it's only available in 25. Um, so um, if I want to do 27s, I have to tool up and do my own tooling for a 27. If I want to do a 23, same thing. Um, I don't have a problem with that as long as there's a reason to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, tubulars. So far, the the big feedback I got from a big collector in Switzerland was I'm insane to do 25. It's way too big. The maximum size I should do is 23. Um, I think he's he's got a point if it's for a collection in a museum and nobody's mm-hmm. ever riding them. Mm-hmm. Um, but 25 is not huge. No, they don't look that different from a 23. Um, I've got 23s and 25s on, on, on two different bikes and they're not that different. Well, Um, and let's be honest, some of those 23s back in the day were pretty big. They they could be. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, like I said with the Vittoria, the Vittoria 25 that I had was taller than the challenge, but not fatter. I, it was, it was weird. Um, and you know, the, 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 the tires that they wore, if you watch, uh, 
Sunday in Hell, and he talks about the specially patented <laughs> tires for Perry Roubaix. Um, those were 25s. Those old Perry Roubaix tires were 25s. That was a that was the giant tire. And and I I I'm thinking that if you've got a bike for the Concourse d'Elegance event, you're not going to put a modern tire on there anyway. <laughs> you're going to be able to source some vintage tires. I have about eight vintage tires. If I can get them, somebody who's really serious about shows has I have no doubt they've got a whole wine cellar full of them aging properly. You know? <laughs> um, so so the, my target market is really people who ride. Um, I mean, it's a disposable. It's it's a consumable. And, and <laughs> I want people to I want people to ride them, wear them out and buy more. That's you know, <laughs> uh, that's that's the idea. And um, so, you know, 27s is a big deal. A lot of people like 27s for the comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's necessary. I mean, I just did Paris-Roubaix last year on a 73 Brooklyn bike, and I rode, rode 27s, and I'm glad I had 27s. <laughs> but you were riding Paris-Roubaix. But I was riding Paris-Roubaix, exactly. Yeah. Um, if you're in Orange County, a 25 is amazing. Yeah, I did all 29 sectors, and it oh. was brutal. But yeah, Orange County, 25s are great. 23s are fine. Um, <laughs> I did LaRoica the last two years on 25s. And you know, there's plenty of dirt and rough crap, and ah, it's not a big deal. I mean, I, 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 you probably have these similar stories. You know, back in the 90s, early 90s, mid-90s, when we were riding 21s and 23s, Going off road. I mean, we rode dirt oh, road yeah. all the time. I lived in New Mexico and we rode horrible washboard and just these ridiculous roads. And we're all on 23s, yeah. maybe 25s. Yeah, no, I rode Victoria CGs through the spring. Right. And then once summer came and I wasn't going to ride the nasty roads anymore and I was going to stick to the the better roads in New England, then I moved to CXs. Uh, and it's funny because I can also remember like, I would be on CGs through the winter and then like late April, early May, I would put a CX on the front and then like sometime in June, getting on toward July, then I'd put a CX on the back. You were nerdy. Oh my gosh. Are you new here? (laughs) I put tires on and I left them on until I had to pull them off. I hated changing my tires. Oh, I'd been trained to glue tires so well. I mean, I, funny. I might do it. I just still hate doing it. Yeah. Well, just in my Facebook feed today, uh, an old throwback Thursday came up and it was a picture of me in my very first criterium back in 1988, I want to say. And I'm on my hip sliding through the turn. That was the one of the first tubulars I ever glued on. Uh, it was not glued well enough and, uh, it came off in turn three <laughs> of, uh, the very first crit I did. I mean, that was the first lap of the first crit turn three boom, <laughs> on my hip and I have not rolled a tubular since then. So I yep. got some people to really teach me how to do that as well as how to get them off. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I love what you're doing. I hope I find an audience for it. You know, I hope not everybody's like the guy in Switzerland who, you know, refuses to to buy something that's two millimeters bigger than what he thinks it should be. Um, <laughs> you know, and and uh, there's a there's another guy in Switzerland who's selling mountain bike tires. Um, 
and uh, under the uh, what is the name of the brand? I want to say it's Terra One. Terra One. So he's kind of doing tan sidewall mountain bike tires for vintage bikes. Same, same basic concept. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, he's a bike industry guy. Been around for a while. Uh, Terrence Malone, I believe, is his last name. Um, and uh, he and I may help each other out so that we can, I can get stuff into Europe easier. Um, sh- drop ship to him. He'll he'll do all the shipping. He'll drop ship to me. I'll do all the shipping of his oh, bike tires. Oh, that would be awesome. Because the import duties. So if I I make vintage number plates, these replicas of BMX number plates from the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, that is how I'm funding my my mountain bike tire or my tubular tire business. Um, and I ship those things to Europe, and they're seventy five bucks. And they go into the UK and there's a $35 import duty on them. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. And um, I've shipped gloves to some guy in Italy and he was livid. He bought them off eBay, was livid that there was an import duty. I'm like, that's not my, how do I, how do I control that? Right. Well, that's your, your, your people. I don't get it. But, you know, if I can ship, I mean, whatever quantity of tires to to uh switzerland direct from the factory it's it's taxed on factory cost as opposed to retail Mm -hmm. um so uh then i probably have to raise the price because i'm getting taxed on that (laughs) Uh, right um uh, so um yeah anyway he's he's we may have a way to get stuff into Europe and I'd like to, I'd like to sell some to some dealers or some big dealers that do vintage stuff in Europe. I'd like to sell to some museums, you know, collectors. Um, I just think it's a better looking tire than throwing on a, a modern tire or what a lot of people I've seen do is they get, um, a really cheap old Vittoria, you know, something you wouldn't want to use for a training tire. You know, they find those somewhere, they found a stash of them. And that's what they're putting on these these bikes. They sell for three or four thousand um, dollars. Mm. They're totally dialed in bikes, but then they have this really crappy low end training tubular. Um, I think this would be a better looking tire, personally. Well, if it's closer to the actual quality of the tires that we were riding back then, you know, I'm I I know for myself, I wouldn't want to be doing uh, some of the mountainous descents around here on a crappy training tire. Yeah, especially if it's 35 or 40 years old. <laughs> Doubly so. <laughs> yes. yes. You know, um, if it wasn't great when it was new, uh, yeah. Oof. Yeah, I mean, that 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 rubber is probably turned to plastic, and it's just going to be a slippery mm-hmm. disaster waiting to happen. I, I actually think that the, that the tires now, even the, the cheap training tires, which is kind of what I'm doing, are so much better than what was available back in the day. I mean, I'm not going full bore, you know, latex tube, 300 and 400 TPI. I'm not going anything crazy like that. No silk. I mean, it'd be fun to do that. Mm-hmm. If I was the factory itself, I could do weird shit like that. But, um, I don't, that's, I'm just a guy trying to buy some tires. Um, and if it takes off, you know, is could Victoria jump in and destroy me? Sure. <laughs> could Continental <laughs> decide to do it and destroy me? Probably. 
I, I think I've been writing basically, it's basically a challenge elite tire is basically what it is. Lots of changes, lots of tweaks, but, um, it's the same tube, same casing. And, um, I think they ride as good as the tires I rode back in the day and certainly better than any training tire. That's really cool. Well, we will have to do some more catching up at some other point. Good to talk to you, man. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. I'd like to thank my guest, Michael Gamsitter, for speaking with me. To learn more about his company, Gammy Sport, you can visit his website at gammysport.com. That's G-A-M-M-I-S-P-O-R-T.com. There will be a link in our show notes. Next week, Patria will be back from her travels for another episode of The Pace Line. Thanks for listening.